Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. So I've been thinking about a lot of the episodes that we've done in the past, and they all seem really exciting and glamorous and everything, but I'm kind of curious where the labeled data comes from. I mean, for all of these examples, you have to have some kind of labeled data set. Are you saying that labeled data doesn't grow on trees? Well, does it? You're listening to Linear Digressions. This is, this is, I feel like this is a dirty secret of machine learning, especially machine learning classes. Mm-hmm. So you get a data set, it has features, it has labels, you dump it into your decision tree, your supervised classifier, whatever, and then everything works. Poof. Yeah, but the most interesting data sets out there, I think most of them don't have labels that are sitting around on top of them. So can you give me an example, for example? So there's an episode that we were talking about lie detection. Yeah, that's right. So you want to remind everybody sort of what the idea was there? Yeah, they were looking at pictures of the brain, right? And they were trying to figure out when people were lying. Yeah. So how do you think they got a bunch of labeled data for that? You have to, you have the picture of the brain, but you also have to have the label that says, is this person lying or not? Huh. Okay, so how would I get that data? I don't imagine I would go find it. I don't know if there's a place I could buy it. I could probably just sit around and make it, but that means getting a whole bunch of people into a room and having them tell lies and you know not tell lies and taking scans and having that process. And that's what it was, yeah. That's what it was, so that sounds really tedious. It is, it's, it's just as tedious as it sounds like. You get a bunch of probably undergraduates because a lot of these research <laughs> studies are done yeah. at universities. And uh, in that particular case, you stick them into an fMRI machine, and there's one thing that's pretty important is you have to give them an incentive to want to fool you. So usually they offer them little bits of money that, you know, if they can convince you that they're holding the queen of hearts when they draw a random card, then they get to keep $20 or whatever. Okay, I see. So there can be some money involved too. Like you might have to pay the people that you're that you're using to label your to get the labeled data. Yeah. So, I mean, data isn't free usually. Uh, especially if it's a data set that doesn't exist already and you have to either go out and make it or go out and collect it. And I, I imagine there also must be some times when you can go and get some data that is there that you can get, maybe even for free, but it's not labeled. Yes. This is much easier to get than labeled data in general. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. So so you get the non-labeled data and then you have to go through and you know slog through and label it all. Yeah. So very often machine learning is being done uh, especially research level machine learning is being done by professors at universities and they have grad students who can do stuff like this for them. If that's not a resource that you have, you can also go on something like Amazon's Mechanical Turk and you can pay somebody to do the labeling for you, assuming that it's something that a human can do fairly easily. Yeah, so Mechanical Turk is it's that service where you can go online and you can give work to actual live people. Mm-hmm. And then those people can do that work from the comfort of their home or another country where the cost of living is lower. But I, I imagine that because they're not getting paid a ton of money to do this, because they're probably being paid underpaid to do this work, they don't necessarily have a great incentive for giving really, like for, for putting in the work. Oh, that's a really good point, actually. So you can imagine if, for example, I'm being paid 10 cents a piece to write captions for pictures. Oh yeah, that reminds me of another episode we did, yeah. <laughs> they used Mechanical Turk in that one, actually. Oh, did they? they did. All right. But if I'm being paid just a small amount of money to do a simple task repeatedly, I have a large incentive to just do it as fast as possible. And 
if it's not perfectly done, I kind of don't care. Yeah, so if you do a bunch of bad captions and you do twice as many, I you still, get twice as much money. Yeah, and so this is something that you need to be very careful of. That's a really good point when you're the researcher who's relying on these labels being mm. something that you can trust. Got it, because if you put bad data into your machine learning algorithm, you're going to get the same level of quality of data back out. Bingo, yeah. Machine learning is only as good as the inputs that you give to it. Mm-hmm. So this sounds like a dilemma. How is there a way to solve this with Mechanical Turk or other methods that people use? Or? I don't think there's a perfect way, but one way that uh, very often happens is you ask a person to repeat the work that somebody else has already done. Someone that you have vetted them, you've used this particular worker to do tasks for you in the past. So you have sort of a benchmark that this is the level of quality that you expect, and then you have the person who is coming on repeat some of the work that you know, your trusted worker has done. Right, so that wouldn't work super well for, say, image captions, because there's a lot of variability in those, but it might work better for things where your outputs are simple numbers, or one group or another group, or? Uh, yeah, so definitely if what you have to do is just assign, say, you look at a picture and you say, what word is this, right? Like solve a CAPTCHA. That's a classic mm -hmm. thing you can ask Mechanical Turk to do. But you're not, uh, you're wrong actually about the captions. Really? Am so I? they asked multiple people to caption the same picture. And then they basically did a diff of all of those captions. And they used the variation. So this is actually, this is a really interesting point. So <laughs> I didn't think we were going to wander in this direction, but I like this. Let's, let's, let's follow all this right, so, thread. So a diff is when you take say two or more things and you look at specifically the differences, the variations within the text. So if you have a picture of a cat on let's say a table, the words cat and table are almost always going to be there, but maybe the way the sentence is phrased might be a little differently. No, that's that's No, it. no, you've got it you've got it perfectly. So okay. let's do a little experiment actually. Ooh, I like experiments. Okay. So we're sitting in, in a conference room right now. Uh-huh. Take a second and think, if I took a picture from this particular angle right now, what would be the caption that you wrote for this picture? Okay, hold on, let me come around to your side. I would probably write pens on a conference table. Sure, and, and you'd be right. I might say organizer with office supplies sitting in a meeting room. Right? Mm -hmm. So you and I just gave completely different captions to the same photograph, and I would say that both of us kind of got it right. And mm -hmm. this is something that is a very important point of natural language processing for computers, is this is this ties into an idea called semantic analysis. So there's the words that I use to describe something, but there's also sort of the underlying idea of what's there. And the words can vary a lot, right, but what I'm no, trying to express might not. Yeah, there's no right answer with the specific words you use, but the idea that you're expressing there is a right answer. Exactly, and so if you have a, you might have a computer that's doing an awesome job of writing captions, but it doesn't happen to be using the same vocabulary that your uh, your labeled data sets have. But uh -huh. if you have several different labels for the same image, you start to get an idea of sort of how much of the how much variation you can expect just from completely legitimate labels. Um, but just because people there are different ways to express the same idea. So in this case, when you use Mechanical Turk, you write the same caption for a picture maybe five times. Oh, you say okay. everybody everybody says three cats. But whether they say they're playing or they're sleeping or just three cats pondering life, 
<laughs> Those <laughs> are all the yeah that we have some idea then of of where everyone agrees and the the computer should get it right that there are three cats, but exactly what they're doing with each other might be a little bit more squishy. Oh, that's really interesting. So so you're you're basically getting from the variability of the different people who have labeled your data, you're getting out of that the core concept and then some of the as you said the squishier stuff around it. Right? Yeah, yeah, you get a sort of reinforcement on the things that are the most central because they show up repeatedly and the things that are more peripheral, that there are different ways you can express them. So we're not labeling our data with one person from Mechanical Turk. We're uh, not necessarily, at least. Yeah, so you can. um, And obviously there are going to be times when if the question is just, here's a picture of a number, what number is this? There's there's one right answer, right? Um, It's usually quite unambiguous. But yeah, for something that where there's more of a judgment call involved or there might be some, like we said, some squishiness. Having several different sort of votes on what the correct answer might be can actually give you much better performance than just saying, this is the answer and moving on. All right, so this talking about this right now feels really exciting and everything, but there still is this, this I guess, hidden side of data science, which is you have to go out and you have to find the data or generate the data in some way. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And, you know, you can have the best idea in the world, but if you can't economically come up with a labeled data set, then you might be dead in the water. And I think increasingly there are interesting and creative workarounds for this. So obviously you can sit there, you can suck it up and label the data yourself. Mm-hmm. One example that I want to give a, a promotion for is crowdsourcing it, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. if you have a really cool, interesting problem, then you can sort of put it up on the internet and you can ask people to label it for funsies. Now there have been a lot of really neat examples of this. Like for example, in trying to discover in pictures that were taken by, uh, with our telescopes, what things are galaxies, mm-hmm. they created this project called Galaxy Zoo, which shows you pictures of galaxies and will ask you, is the galaxy smooth and rounded or does it have features? Does it have a disc? Mm-hmm. Is it kind of spirally? Or does it just look like a normal star? And the really great thing is, as a human, if you get it a little bit wrong, I mean, that's okay because a lot of people are labeling these same images. It's the same thing we talked about with the Canical Turk, yeah. Exactly, except I'm not being paid 10 cents a galaxy to do this. I'm just doing this because it's fun and they've managed to turn it into a game. So there's a new one that I have to advertise now because one of my friends put it together. Oh, cool. It's called um, higgshunters.org, I think. Yes. Okay, I'm going to go there right now. Okay. So what, what's it about? So the idea is that they have event displays from the Atlas detector. So this is the particle physics experiment that I work on. Uh-huh. And so one of the things that can happen is that we have reconstruction algorithms that are designed to look for certain types of physics events. But if something else weird is going on, it can be really hard for our algorithms to find that. But humans are really good at just looking at something and saying like, oh, that looks kind of funny. And so what they're doing is they have a bunch of event displays and they're asking people to take a look at it and tag it as this looks normal. It looks like there's certain types of known anomalies, stuff that our algorithms can catch. And also stuff that we say, is there just something else weird that's going on? And so at the end of this, you have many thousands of now labeled images that you can look at. You can start to figure out, oh, are there big classes of events that we think 
are different from anything else that we've seen? Mm-hmm. Does yeah. it look like our algorithms have the same type of identification rates that, that humans do? That sort of thing. That is so cool. Yeah, so I was playing and around with this and you can just go in, you don't even have to create an account, you just start mm-hmm. tagging yeah, I just displays. did, these are pretty pictures too. Yeah, they're cool. And I love the idea that I'm helping. You really are, yeah. There's a lot of uh, scientific merit to, to this project <laughs> as a whole. They're, they're gonna do some cool stuff with it. Oh, wow. That makes me feel good. Good. I love it. Me too. Thanks, Katie. (laughs) You're welcome, Ben. Linear Digressions is a podcast about data science and machine learning, produced and recorded in the studios of Udacity, a company dedicated to education. We've got some awesome courses made by people like Katie and me in data science and other tech fields. We should also remind you that all views expressed during this program were those of the speakers and not of Udacity. This is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you don't mind, leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. Thank you for being here. And we'll see you next time.